Welcome to Season 2 of the Practicing Presence Podcast, where spiritual formation is fueled through a variety of practices rather than a single prescriptive time of devotion, where we discuss different spiritual practices that help us be more present with God, others, and ourselves. What's going on, practitioners? What's up, friends? How we doing? All right, so we're going to continue a conversation that we were having last week on creating community and culture. Um, and... I think we're you, you want to talk about something related to changing the the idea of consumerism? Well, yeah. So, you know, we talked a lot about the dynamic between culture and community. And it's, it really is like a chicken or the egg kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Like you have the community you're creating and the culture that's driving that community. Right. And, you know, cart before the horse chicken or the egg, like whatever metaphor you want to use, but they go hand in hand. Yeah. And can't have one without the other. Right. Exactly. Any community you have will have a culture and any culture you build, a community will reflect that culture. Sure. They are not synonymous, but they're certainly adjacent and interrelated. Yeah. Um, and I just look around and here's my example. So what I really want to talk about is how to, as you're creating or curating a community and a culture, how do you guard that community and culture? Um, In lots of ways. Number one, right? So we see lots of church abuse um, because we didn't, guard or protect the culture and the community. And then the other one is as you're creating and curating communities and cultures, inevitably you have to make decisions. And in you in you making those decisions, the decisions you make will impact your culture. And sometimes like maybe even absent-mindedly you you make a decision for something ir- like unrelated to your culture, but that decision impacts your culture. Mm-hmm. So for instance, um, I know a church, a uh, church plant. And when they planted their church, they planted their church as a church of survivors of church abuse. Mm. And so when they planted, there was a lot of, safeguards in place to ensure that church abuse would not happen. Church manipulation, all the things that go in touch with that. Well, then some funding left. So because of that, because they started as a church who didn't want to do any like church harm or church abuse, Mm -hmm. um, they began, they never took an offering. You could give to the church, mm-hmm. you could donate, but if you went to a service, nobody passed the plate, nobody asked you to give any money, there was no buckets at the back of the room, there's nothing by the door, nobody's asking for any money, because that's a large way that churches manipulate, guilt trip, and do a lot of harm. Sure. Um, so there was none. Well, then, 
some money stops coming in. Some people that help start the church leave, right? We know this. Wellhouse is working on our third year. Yeah. Completed two years, two years and a month or something like that. Um, it's like two and a half now. Yeah. And some of the people that were with us, that were starting with us, that started with us, are beginning their transition out because church plants, they go, they have about a life cycle of three years before they get some turnover. It's just natural. Well, this church hit that point, and a lot of the big money that helped start the church and kept the church afloat went out the door. Yeah. Well, then the church had a decision to make. How are how are we going to deal with the loss of money? Well, they chose to pass an offering plate. Mm. But what they did not think about, or maybe they did, um, that made some other people walk out the door. Yeah. Because they had told them, they had communicated a culture to the community that that, that was a behavior that was unacceptable. And there then they chose to do it because they needed money. There was an expectation. There was boundaries that were set that were not kept. Correct. That's that's what we're talking about. How do you guard and protect your culture and community? Yeah. Um, another example. Um, that's a very like individual, personalized one that I know of that's happening within the last like six months. Yeah. Um, but if you want to look at like a much more like meta narrative example of this same problem, it's the problem of consumerism in the American church. So. Before I planted Wellhouse, or before we planted Wellhouse, I had almost a decade of nonprofit pastoring experience. And in my time there, I used to always get frustrated because when you pastor a church, especially someone like me who wants to motivate people to do and make a difference, mm-hmm. the churches I pastored didn't have that kind of culture serving in that way driving in that way was not a part of their culture definitely not mainframe um and it's true across the spectrum of our denomination or the denomination we used to be a part of um and it's from consumerism because what happened was you look back to the bible and church well, certainly not what we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, church is Acts 2.42. Yeah. Right? Um, and they did it daily. Mm-hmm. Daily. Um, and it's much more communal. It has a it has a way of doing church about it. That culture, that system of doing church, um, very similar to how we do church, mm-hmm. is naturally designed... That you don't show up and go, this is about me. Yeah. It's about the community. Mm-hmm. Um, well, with the rise of professionalization of ministry right around the 1940s and 50s, where we start getting these full-time lead pastors to come in and pastor these mega churches, and we start building boards uh, of business people to tell us how to make this business more profitable and more efficient. 
Um, we begin to take some of the beauty and iconography out of the sanctuaries and we begin to build them as auditoriums, just about how many, what's the best way, most efficient way I can fit the most people in this limited amount of space. Yeah. And then we spend all week, all these resources leading up to one, one hour service on Sunday morning that that is our main call to action. Come to church specifically so that we can ask you for money at that event, at that place. And we're going to take your kids. We're going to do something with your kids so you can pay attention. We don't want you to have any distractions for what we're going to do right now. That's all rooted in consumerism. Mm -hmm. That's all about making the Christian a consumer of a product that they pay a lot of money for the church staff to work six days a week to provide them in one or one and a half hours. But what's the culture of the Christian community? It should be one of servanthood. It should be one of serving and justice and doing for others. But the American church doesn't look that way, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't protect the culture. We made some decisions that, and I don't, I don't think, you know, I'm speaking very cynical right now. Um, I really think these people made like good intentioned decisions. Like I don't think they maliciously went out doing these things, but I do think they did it. They made some decisions that didn't guard their culture. Um, and it's ended as a detriment to said culture and more in mass, right? I mean, you can look around and, you know, for all the things that, for all the things I talk mess about uh, in the church, Joel Osteen's not really my guy that I go and talk mess about. Um, but his church is a great example of consumerism. Yeah. His, no, for sure. His church is the epitome of that example. Yeah. Um, Along with River Point Church. Hmm. River Point Church is a large uh, multi-site or multi-campus um, mega church in the wood or on the west side of town. Um, and it's that way. I think it runs like 8,000 people. They pay musicians to come in. They run like eight, eight worship services a weekend. Um, and and these these churches exist everywhere. By oh, the yeah. Way. These are like, not, this, yeah. No, there they. This is this is a way that people do church. Well, and unfortunately, you know, this is for free. But I think the pastorate naturally attracts narcissistic men. Yeah, because it gives them a natural audience to be on stage in an elevated platform before people that admire them every week. Um, I I will say. Um, just as a clarification, um, I think it is attractive. Like you said, it does attract right. narcissistic men, but not all who hold this position right. are narcissistic, narcissistic yep. men. Yep. That's what I was trying to communicate to. Um, but because of that and because of the innate desire within pastors to grow churches, um, for better or for worse, um, my thing about that is I think there's 
more than one way to calculate growth. Mm-hmm. That's not just numerically. Yeah. Um, but because of that, a lot of these pastors that pastor one and 200 person churches look to the mega churches for inspiration and how to follow it and how to do it. Right. They model their preaching styles. They model the way they build their buildings. They're always looking to this. They're looking to where they want to be. You know, I think, I think a great example of this is, um, when I was early in my musical learning, um, I had a youth pastor who was also very musical, um, and would do a lot of like worship things. Um, we, we worked on a lot of like musical worship things together and like how to build worship services that we're not going to get into all very con- consumer based, like big band, big lights, like of all course. the things. Right. Well, that's what, that's how we were all taught. Yeah. yeah. Cause I know this youth pastor and we went to the same seminary. Uh, we, no, no, no. I'm oh, different about a, youth pastor. Yeah, talking about a different Got guy. Got it. I, actually, well, this guy the, too though. But actually yeah. the guy that you're talking about did not have this idea. Okay. Um, I actually learned a lot more about worship like leading worship from him than from this other guy that I liked more from the guy that you're talking about. The guy that I'm talking about, uh, he sat me down and just looked at me straight up and said, Clayton, your voice is too unique. You need to pick someone that's big out there and try to model your voice after them. Like try to twist your voice. And he gave examples of like Chris Tomlin. Of course. Like try to model name. yeah, Yeah. Try to model your voice after guys that you like that, Chris Tomlin, Phil Wickham, you know, Leland, whoever, pick your, pick your choice. Um, and you need to sound like them mm-hmm. because that's how you make it. That's how you do, that's, that's how, how you, you do, do this, this thing. thing. Yep. Uh, and I essentially looked at him and thought in my brain, you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, well, to be fair, he's right. He is right. If, but it, if you're trying to get the same old results that right. they get. Because here's what I would tell you. Organizations are designed to get the results they produce. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, if your organization is designed for fast, numerical, butts-in-seat growth. That's how you do it. It will get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It That's will absolutely it. get that. And the proof is in the pudding, sure. as they say, because when <laughs> I was going to seminary, a mega church was considered any church that had a thousand or more in weekly attendance. Yeah. Today, as I sit here today, that is not a mega church anymore. Uh, if you got a thousand people on a Sunday morning, you're not a mega church. You got to have 2,000 weekly. It has doubled in 10 years mm-hmm. because the proof's in the pudding. Uh, yeah. They are. If you are trying to do that thing, that's how you do it. And they were. They Look, were a multi-site yes, mega church they, they across were. the state. Uh, at the time, they were. Uh, yeah. uh, Hillsong, Bethel, uh, Elevation, right? These are, these are proof of concept, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that Which is so interesting that you name them because all of them are tied to churches that historically have massive amounts of abuse in them. Yes, exactly. But uh, th- these are proof of concept. They are that, proof of concept. That, a, right. that, that this model works. Yep. This, this model that attracts butts and seats well, because it's a theatrical. This is called the attraction model of doing church. Literally, yeah. when you look at church planting and you look at the different models of how you do ecclesiology, 
one of the options is the attractional model. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're talking about. And this is what I don't like about it is it creates consumer-based Christians that I am here to be served, not to serve. Mm -hmm. I pay my tithe for a service mm -hmm. to you to provide me. Um, as evidenced by, what do I always tell you when we, when we talk about churches? If you want to know what somebody values, follow the money. Oh, yeah, for sure. All, of these, all of these churches give less than 10% of their money to justice, missions, or mm -hmm. denominational networking. It all goes back into own growth. It goes into feeding the beast. Yeah. It feeds its, it always feeds itself. It is designed to benefit itself. Which, you know, there, there is a point. Look, okay. This is why I choose not to crap on Joel Osteen. Because he is speaking the name, literally just the name mm -hmm. of Jesus mm -hmm. to more people than I ever will. Well, that's the deal. Joel will reach people and have access to people I could never reach or have access to. I, I, I mean, he's on TV matter. on yeah, Sunday mornings. Just like, the fact of the matter. And they run reruns. Yep. Like, dude is just a, a presence that will always be. New York be. Times bestselling author. Yeah, yeah, all the things. He will just always be. Yep. And so, in Hillsong, Elevation, Bethel, all these places that are running this attraction model, this very consumer-based idea, they are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And they are speaking Jesus, the name of Jesus to more people than you and I ever will combine. For sure. However, there are things that happen within the model that I hope, personally, people reach a point after they hear the name of Jesus and realize, oh, no, this isn't the right way to do it and move forward. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess, yeah. Because, like, we, we have been talking about this as, like, a unfortunately this happens, right? Well, I am. Yeah, I uh, certainly am. And I didn't mean to do it that way. It's just, it's, it's, it was an easy example of how the Christian culture in the community that, or the culture that's supposed to sure. drive our community was not guarded and protected. And this is what it ended up as. And I think it's, I think it's very important that you and I just go ahead and state right now for everyone, for any new listeners, the ones that have been here for a while know this, but we got mad religious trauma. Yeah. And so like <laughs> we got mad religious trauma. And so like when Oceans comes on, I'm like, oh no. I, I can't do it. I'm dead. Uh Dunzo. Just like start getting nauseous, like for real. Like I'm not kidding. Yeah, that's so uh, strange how nauseous. you respond. You get anxious and nauseous. I get angry. Yeah, no, I get nauseous. Uh mm. I don't like it. Like I get this twinge in my neck. I don't like it. I start having like a mini panic attack. Um but so like it that's why these are easy targets for us but like it doesn't mean that th these have to be easy targets for you right it, you know what if if it bugged you that i i said hillsong or bethel or or elevation i'm i'm sorry i really am experience god in the way that you need to and if there's if if, if you're if you're a steve or a brian guy like cool <laughs> like i'm i'm not going to I, I'm not going to speak against you for that. Like, if that's how you want to experience Jesus, and if you if you like if you like the music that they produce, fantastic. This is a model of church, though, 
that that does exist and that they have built a culture around this model that is very consumer based and nobody can deny that. Yeah. Um and we just don't prefer that model of church. That's why we've decided to do church the way that we do. Yeah. Well, and you know, when I first started at looking at planting a church, I began to dissect these models. Um, and when Wellhouse was really starting to come together and take shape, I was interim pastoring a church and it wanted to run an attractional model. And I fought tooth and nail trying to get them not to think about church that way. To no avail. Um, And so the other one that I wanted to run, and Wellhouse is not really either of these. Wellhouse is its own amalgamation that we invented. Um, But it's the missional model. Mm Mm-hmm. And the missional model says that above all else, the culture and the community of being a Christian is missional, and that is what will drive us. Sure. We're not going to try to attract people. Mm-hmm. We're not, our goal is not to bring people in. Our goal is not to fill seats. Our goal is not to make money. Our goal is to be on mission, on brand, and our culture actually be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I, I think that this is actually really important to remember. Um, for me, the attractional model is very evident in worship. Um, but when we first started talking about Wellhouse years ago, um, you and I, and remember when we built the Wellhouse worship playlist, and it was a shared playlist between us. Wow. Uh, it was very attraction based. It was the and music was dead. Well, well okay, no, no, no. so the Whoa. songs were, but we we were going to redo at, them. Well, but even at that point, we were talking about doing only acoustic based music. We were, we were, and so because uh, I w- at that point I was already frustrated with like the '90s style of just like yeah. blasting people with massive amounts of stuff. like I can't tell you how many church consultants the, the Mark Driscoll way of doing worship. <laughs> well, it's just anybody's way of doing worship because yeah. I can't tell you how many church consultants or conferences. I spoke to or went to where they told me exactly how many decibels to, the worship service yeah. should be. 98. 98 decibels. 98 decibels. 98 decibels. Uh, I hate that I know that. But, it's the sweet spot. Um, but It's also enough decibels to make people hard of hearing. It, it is. But what it does is it drowns out everything else. So because You're guess immersed. what? Yeah. So you don't hear or think about anything else except the worship. Well, and I guarantee you. Because I've been on these churches, I've been on these, or I've been in these churches, I've been on these staffs. Um, there was many, many hours spent early in the week, mm-hmm. specifically with them picking those specific songs and putting them in that specific order and in that specific key for the sole purpose of making sure your heart is prepared yep. for the sermon. I've done it. I've done it. I've I've built these worship playlists. I've downloaded the decibel meter on my phone. I've done this thing. Um, but you know what? We've chosen not to do uh, church this way. Um, if if that is the way that you choose to do church, you know what? Cool. 
if you, if that's the model you choose, you probably will speak the name of Jesus to more people than than we will. Um, and good on you for that. That's just not our preferred way to do it. Um, I would rather protect the culture, the missional culture that we call ourselves Christians. Our culture is in our title, mm-hmm. our name. Yeah. I would rather protect a culture of being Christ-like. Thanks for listening to the Practicing Presence podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.